great cornerstone. You guys must have watched the ASU game last night. <laughs> okay, it's painful, but we still have the Cardinals, right? We got a little bit of hope that uh, we can take a California team. Yeah. All right, so we're in a series, if you've been around, it's called Dangerous Church. Now, here's the conversation that we've been having, and it's simply this, what if, what if there was a church that decided to be the church that Jesus envisioned when he started the church? Well, what if there was a group of believers who said, look, we're in, and, and we're, we're going to sacrifice whatever we've got to sacrifice, we're going to commit to whatever we've got to commit to, we're going to grow to be more like Jesus and less like us, and, and we're going to just absolutely share our faith and affect our community. We're going we're to do whatever it takes to be the church that Jesus always dreamed of. If there was a church like that, that would be an absolutely dangerous church, right? I mean, their neighborhoods would be affected, their friends would be affected, their community would be changed if there was ever a church that was like the church that Jesus dreamed of. And so we just said, hey, what would that take, and what would it mean for you and I to be there? And uh, if you were here last week, and actually if you were at Wildwood Park when we did our uh, 20th anniversary celebration, you know that we had a conversation about the beginnings of Cornerstone. And you get, Cornerstone wasn't always Cornerstone. Uh, 20 years ago, it was a group of 26 people meeting in a living room. Our eyes were bugging out, our throats were all dry, and, and, and we almost whispered in the room, would you consider being a Bible study? That, that just maybe could turn into a church? And would you consider being part of that? And it's interesting because 26 people all put their hands in together and said, we're in, we'll do that. And God took that commitment, that all-in moment of 26 people and turned it into 7,000, which is an amazing thing. But you get that it didn't come easy. The reality is, that as those 26 put their hands in, they knew going in that this was going to cost them something to be part of this church. Matter of fact, on opening Sunday, the majority of the 26 did not even get to attend our first service. Uh, they were all in the back teaching children's classes. Uh, every single one of those 26 knew that they were going to have to be sacrificial in their giving because our pastoral staff didn't have salaries. And the only way we're going to survive is if they were all in and they were supporting with all their heart. And yet God took that initial commitment and turned it into something that none of us could have ever dreamed. And so as we were at the park last week, we said, if God could do that with 26, if God could take 26 and in 20 years turn it to 7,000, what could God do with 7,000? Who put their hands in and said, we're, we're, we're there. We're willing to sacrifice. We're willing to commit. We're willing to go further in our walk with Jesus. We're, we're willing to give more sacrificially. We're willing to serve more often than we serve. What could God do with 7,000? And a church like that would be dangerous. A church like that might just change Phoenix for God. And so we've been having this conversation. And guys, here's the deal. If you and I are going to be that church, then one of the most critical conversations that you and I can have is the conversation about maturity. Because to be a dangerous church, to be that type of church, there's going to have to be a lot less of us in us and a lot more of Jesus in us. And you and I are going to have to make a concerted commitment together to say, where I am spiritually today is not where I'm going to be spiritually tomorrow. I'm, I'm going to push into this and I choose 
to get on a growth path. I choose to move forward in my walk, in my faith with Jesus Christ. You know, the minute you decide to just kind of hold steady in your walk with Christ, you're actually backsliding. Because following Jesus is like skating up a hill on roller skates. And the minute you stop, you're going back. And so it's going to require you and I to make a decision that says, no, my momentum, my direction in my Christian faith, by decision, is going to be forward. And I choose to grow and be more Christ-like on purpose. I choose to be mature. And so we're going to talk about that today and what it would mean to make that type of decision. Matter of fact, if you have your Bibles, uh, grab them real quick. Go to uh, Hebrews chapter 5. There's a passage there that has a conversation about maturity. Matter of fact, the easiest way is if you go to the back of your Bible, work to the left, you're going to find this book of Hebrews. Don't go too fast because it's almost at the back. Hebrews chapter 5. But while you're going there, here's what I'm going to do. I want us to take for a moment a maturity survey. I want to take a moment and just kind of build a continuum of where you may be in your spiritual journey. And my challenge to you is this, as we kind of unpack uh, these different steps along the way, self-evaluate. Just go, hey, I, I think that's most descriptive of me. I think I probably fall into that category when it comes to this topic of maturity in my spiritual life. Okay, so here we go. Some of us in the room today, uh, some of us are actually pre-Jesus. In other words, what we mean by that is uh, you still have not made an actual decision. You're exploring, you're kind of taking a look, you're, you're trying to decide if you believe this stuff, you're trying to decide am I in or am I out, and, and you're simply in process right now. And let me just say this out loud, that's okay. That's okay. You're in a place where we absolutely believe that the more you look at Jesus, the more intrigued you're going to be by Jesus. The more you're around legitimate followers of Jesus, the more you're going to be convinced that this thing changes lives and is full of power. So we're just going to say to you, look, stay in the room, keep exploring, keep processing. And we truly believe the closer you look, the more honest you are as you evaluate that you eventually are going to step to the other side of faith. You're going to cross over and say, man, this is real and I want in. But the reality is this, if you haven't made that decision yet, then a lot of what we're going to talk about today, it's not going to apply to you because I'm actually going to go after Christians and say, hey, are you far enough yet? Have you gone and done enough? Have you grown enough yet? But here's what I would encourage you if you're in the room pre-Jesus. When you make that decision for Jesus, be better than us. From the day you come to Christ, absolutely determine that you're going to grow as fast as you can, as far as you can with Jesus Christ. And don't take the delays and the pauses that the rest of us have taken. When you get in, man, get all in. Some of us, some of us in the room would best be categorized as baby Christians. Now, now, here's the best way I can describe a baby Christian. A baby Christian is someone who has made the decision, or they've crossed over in faith, but really where they are with Jesus is, Jesus is an add-on to their life. In other words, an awful lot of their life and who they were pre-Jesus is still there because they're a baby Christian. Have you figured out that babies are really messy? They throw up on everything. They vomit all over the place. They're really self-centered. I mean, don't feed a baby for a while and ah, they're screaming, right? That's a baby. 
And the reality is, if you're a baby Christian, there's still so much of you in you that probably most of your coworkers, most of your friends, wouldn't know that you're a Christian if you didn't tell them you were. Because part of being a baby Christian is there's a whole bunch of me in me and only a little bit of Jesus in me because Jesus is something I'm still adding to my life. He isn't my life yet. I'm a baby Christian. Matter of fact, one of the questions that typically a baby Christian asks is, how close can I get to sin? How close can I get to my old way of living without sinning? So they ask this question about everything. How, how much alcohol can I drink till I'm sinning? How, how bad a movie can I go to before I'm sinning? How, how bad can my vocabulary be before I'm sinning? How many times can I miss church before I'm sinning? So often baby Christians are always worried about how close can I get to sin without sinning? Because for a baby Christian, it's all about me. And a matter of fact, the reality is most Christians that are baby Christians came to Jesus because they thought Jesus could do something for them. Hey, uh, my marriage wasn't going really well. I thought if I became a Christian, maybe God would fix my wife. So I was thinking, yeah, hey, I, I'm struggling with finances right now. My job's not going great. I thought maybe if I became a Christian, maybe God would bless my finances. You know, I, I, got, a, I got a troubled teen right now. I thought if I came to God, God would fix my teen. And so very often, baby Christians came to Jesus hoping to get something from Jesus. And the reality is in their lives, Jesus is just a, a really sexy rabbit foot. And that's what causes them faith. Baby Christians are all about me. Some of us in the room are what I call selective believers. Uh, selective believers are Christians who pick and choose which portions of the Bible they want to obey. See, in other words, where they go, they go, look, 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 look. Uh, there are some parts of Scripture that, that make sense to me. I mean, I understand it. When the preacher talked about it, I went, oh, okay. Uh, that would probably be helpful. So I adopted that part of the Bible. But I'm just telling you, let's be honest, there are some portions of the Bible that, I mean, they're just, they're crummy. Uh, there are some portions of the Bible, I, I just, I don't, if I were God, I wouldn't have written it that way. I'm, I'm pretty sure that was for old people a long time ago. It has nothing to do with the reality of the culture in the 21st century. And so I, I just voted no on that part. I just said, you know, no. Or, here's what sometimes selective believers say, eventually, eventually I'll consider being obedient to God in that part of my life, but for right now, I'm going to do what I want to do. And then when I'm old and sin's no fun anymore, well, then I'll let Jesus have it. They're selective believers. And you realize the irony of this is, is that you've really, in essence, have said, I'm smarter than God. I can manage my life better than God. So I'll choose which parts of God. You realize selective believers are percentage believers. There's this constant wrestle in their lives. What percentage of my life am I going to allow God to be in control of? And what percentage of my life am I going to maintain my own control in? Baby believers are all about me. Selective believers are all about us. They believe their life is a partnership with God. And it's now just negotiating terms. Some of us in the room are mature believers. Uh, mature believers 
are absolutely committed. And here's what you need to know. Being a mature believer does not mean you're sinless. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It just means you're done arguing. See, here's what a mature believer has decided. God is always right. And therefore, it does not pay to wrestle with him. And so, whenever I hear a part of Scripture, whenever the preacher preaches something, whenever someone opens the Word of God, and even in those moments, and maybe, ready for this, maybe especially in the moments that I don't like what it says, I don't care. I don't fight it. I simply believe that God is smarter than me and knows more than me, and I absolutely choose to follow and obey as best I can which doesn't mean I don't stumble and it doesn't mean I don't fall. It just simply means that when I stumble and when I fall, I get up absolutely committed to try to obey better next time. I am absolutely 100% sold out to following Jesus, which means, ready for this? There's not much of me in me, and hopefully there's a lot of Jesus in me. You wouldn't have to ask one of these people if they were a believer if you ran into them. It'd be all over their lives. Maybe here's another way to process this a little bit. It's interesting. Uh, baby believers usually are trying to figure out attendance. Isn't that interesting? So if you, get, if you get a really young baby believer, I mean, just barely on it, uh, a really young baby believer, I mean, coming to church like once every six weeks, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. And here's why it's a big deal. You ready for this? Because if they come once every six weeks, they get all the Jesus they can handle for six weeks. So in other words, whatever got pushed into their life, whatever nudge they got in their heart, whatever discomfort they felt in that moment, that's enough. And they're like, I don't need any more Jesus for a while, right? And so their attendance tends to be fairly sporadic. As they move to greater maturity and as they may be, you know, now maybe a toddler baby believer, church attendance tends to take care of itself and they actually become fairly faithful in their church attendance. Uh, they come on a pretty consistent basis because they can handle hearing a sermon just about every single Sunday on the deal. And they've realized this is, this is an important thing in my life. Selective believers, their struggle is studying. How much will I study? How, how much will I self-commit to the Word of God? And so you'll find se selective believers who are on the m more immature side of this, they'll sign up for an occasional Bible study. They'll do a six-week this, or they'll do a weekend that, and uh, they'll get involved in that. Um, but as they grow, as they get further on in their faith, now all of a sudden they're in a small group on a consistent basis. They're in a small church. They're, they're heading to the mine. On a, because, you ready for this? Because they need more content in order to make better decisions. And so as they move further on, they tend to study more. Mature believers, uh, their biggest issue is, how do I let what God has done in me change the lives of others? Remember, the baby believer is all about me. The mature believer is all about him. And how do I take what God's done in me and share that freely? So you'll find someone who's just barely started figuring out being on the mature side that they're going to begin to start investing their life. It may be a family member. It, it may be a coworker, but they're going to start investing their life into discipleship, and they're going to say, I, I've, I've got to touch this person with the Jesus that has touched me. So they do a little bit of discipleship. 
When you, when you find a fully-fledged, really mature believer, they're doing tons of… They, they, they just… They want to affect as many lives for Jesus as they can. Often they're teaching classes. Often they're leading ministries because they can't keep this Jesus thing to themselves because it has so deeply and profoundly affected them. Okay? So here's the question. If you were honest, where are you? If you had to really actually pinpoint, where, where would you put yourself on the spectrum? And maybe a better question is, where would Jesus put you on the spectrum? Let's grab our Bibles. Hebrews chapter 5. It's actually the author of Hebrews writing to a church about this very topic of maturity. Hebrews chapter 5, we'll start in verse 11 together. Watch this. Here's what he says. We have much to say to you about this, about maturity. But it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In other words, it's like you've said, hey, it's no big deal. I mean, I, I'm okay where I am spiritually. I'm okay with my present level of maturity. I'm, I'm not really trying to move forward. That I, I'm okay. I'm comfortable. And moving forward in maturity is a lot of work, so I'm, I'm, I'm okay. You're not even really trying, he says. In fact, verse 12, though by this time you ought to be teachers. So you get the moment. He says, guys, by the time you've been a Christ follower, by the time you've been a Christian this long, you should be way ahead in maturity from where you are. I mean, you should, be, you should be way at the other end of the scale. But you've been so casual, you've been so laissez-faire about this, you've been, you've been so reluctant to pay the price to grow that you, you're way behind. You're way retarded in your growth. Do you know, we've, we've got believers in this room who've been believers for three, four years, and you're still a baby Christian. You're, you're still trying to figure out if you're going to church on Sunday or not. That's a big deal to you. You're, there's still tons of you in you and very little Jesus in you. And by now, by now, you should be way beyond. We've got, ready for this? We've got Christians in this room. You've been a Christian for 15, 20 years. And you're still in diapers. And by now, if you had been serious about your walk with Jesus, if you'd been committed to this thing, you should be so much further ahead by now. In fact, though, by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the basic truths of God's Word all over again. Now, look, look, look. Not because they didn't know the basic truths, because they weren't living the basic truths. Because you understand this about maturity. Maturity is knowledge. You've got to know the Bible. You've got to understand the Scriptures. You've got to invest the time to actually get in and, and see what it says. But true maturity is how much you live once you know it. You realize the Pharisees knew a ton of Bible. They just didn't live very much Bible. And the, and the key to maturity is knowing a lot of Bible and then in turn living a lot of Bible in your life. You need milk, not solid food. 
Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, you ready? Is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. And actually, the, the word there uh, is unskilled. He says, you realize you're still completely unskilled in the Word of God. You've been a Christian this long, and you still haven't invested enough to truly know what the Word of God says about something, and you're absolutely unskilled. And here's why this is critical. You realize that in every one of our lives, there will come absolutely critical, life-changing moments that you cannot afford to be unskilled in the Word of God when that moment comes. You're going to have a rebellious teenager. And in that moment, if you do this in your own strength, you do this in your own wisdom, if you are unskilled in how God treats rebellious teenagers, you've got all the potential in the world to mess this up and ruin a relationship for a lifetime because you were unskilled in the Word of God. You're going to have some dark moments in your marriage, and you're going to do that unskilled? You're going to have to decide whether or not to take that job and move your, your family clear across the country. And you realize, you realize taking your family and moving them somewhere that drastically has the potential to change not only your lives, but the lives of all your kids. And you're going to make that decision and not be thoroughly versed in understanding and seeking God's will before you make that decision. He says, guys, this is a bad plan. How many of you watched... Uh, football this last weekend. Okay. How many of you happened to see the Syracuse LSU game? All right, three of us. So this is going to make a lot of sense. This is going to be so helpful for you guys. All right. So watch this. So just for all of you that are non-football people, let me see if I can help a little bit. So Syracuse is playing LSU, Louisiana State University. And LSU is a perennial college football powerhouse. I mean, these guys are titans almost every single year. And now they're coming to play Syracuse. Here's the problem for Syracuse. They've had an epidemic of injuries to their quarterback. So on Saturday, yesterday, they were starting their fifth string quarterback. This guy, you ready for this? This guy has been on the practice squad. Last week, last week, he couldn't even suit out with the team because he's on the practice squad. He watched the game from the stands. And this week, he's the starting quarterback for Syracuse. His name was Zach Maloney. Great guy. I mean, if you just saw the interviews, you saw that, you said, man, this is a great kid. Ten minutes into the game, guess what you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt? He is absolutely unprepared. The emotion of the moment, the, 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 the nerves... Every, he'd pass and it would hit the ground five feet in front of his receiver. He'd throw it and it'd go in. I mean, he, he, couldn't, he couldn't line up in the right spot. He'd turn the wrong direction to hand off to his halfback. And he thought, you know what, man. Dude, Zach, this, this, is, this is probably the opportunity of a lifetime. I mean, what a moment. And you're unprepared. Anybody want to guess the final score of the game? So you already know, don't you? Because our friend Zach wasn't ready. And that's exactly what the author of Hebrews says. He says, guys, 
you get, there's going to be moments and you won't be able to decide them and chances are, you think Zach two weeks ago thought he was going to be the starting quarterback? He had no idea. And there's going to be moments in your life you're going to get stuck in the game, you're going to be the starting quarterback and you go, I had no idea that my family member was going to get sick. I, 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 had, I had no idea that my child was going to go into crisis. I, I, I had no idea that financially and I was going to lose. I had no idea. And you're going to be on the field. And he says, guys, and then that moment, you better be prepared. That's what maturity is about. That you've not only learned the Word of God, you've learned how to live the Word of God so that when that moment comes, and then he gives an answer. But solid food, verse 14, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. In other words, at some point, the mature have said, look, here's the deal. I'm going into training. I'm going to consciously make a decision that I'm going to grow. Even though there may not be an urgency in the moment, I'm ready for when the time comes, when I take the field. And so I'm deciding now to begin my training, to begin investing in maturity. Guys, you realize you attend a church that is absolutely committed to your… You have more options for maturity here than just about any other church in the Southeast Valley. It's one of the reasons we refuse to be a church that is only small groups. Matter of fact, uh, not only do you have the option for small groups here, you realize you have small churches that you could decide on a Sunday to go be in one of the small churches on that hallway. You could come to church one hour. You could go to the uh, small group the second hour. You could become a two-hour Christian. And, uh, and you realize you'd be getting maturity done all in the morning on Sunday. It's why we've got the mind. You realize on Tuesday nights we come in here and we do a Bible college, almost seminary level Bible study in this room every Tuesday night. It's why we've got men's groups. It's why we've got women's groups. To give you every possible opportunity to grow. To grow. So here's my question. What if you and I simply made a commitment today to move one? That we just said, hey, look, in the next 12 months, I, I'm just, I'm just going to move one. I'm going to take at least one step forward on my maturity journey. So for some of us that are, that are pre-Jesus, the answer would be, you've seen enough. Some of us, not all of us, some of us, you, you, you've, you've already investigated enough, you've had enough friends lean into your life, you've sat in enough services with conviction, and, and you already know, you know you need to make this decision. And, and you could simply just get that done. For those of you in the room that are pre-Jesus and you go, no, I haven't seen enough and I haven't investigated enough, then what if you made a commitment to say, I am seriously going to investigate this Jesus thing. I'm going to actually dig in and take a, a really, really legitimate look because I'm absolutely convinced if you look at Jesus through clear eyes, you'll want Jesus. Could you take that step? For some of us that are baby Christians, remember we said baby Christians struggle to make it to church every Sunday, it's a big deal, you know, should I go, should I not go? What, what, if, what if our babyest of baby Christians in the room said, hey, you know what, my commitment, I'm, I'm just going to, Sunday attendance is no longer an issue to me. Uh, my decision for the Smith family, my decision for my life is I go to church every Sunday. That's just what I do. That's my one step. That's my decision forward. And for some of us who've been attending church fairly regularly, but you've never gone to a maturity venue, you've never made that second, you know, what if you signed up for a Bible study this year? What if you signed up for one Bible study this year? That'd be a step forward, right? So I'm asking, what would it mean if every single one of us that called Cornerstone just said, look, I'll take one. I'll move forward one. We'd be a different church. We'd be on our way to becoming a dangerous church.
second part. And this is the part that uh, may frustrate some of you. Some of you may get a little angry with me. That's okay. Just don't send any emails. Keep them to yourself. Uh, if you've been here for any length of time, you've heard me say this, that giving is a reflection of maturity, that you cannot be a mature follower of Jesus and struggle in this area of giving. It's just not possible. Because, 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 you ready? Because your and my hearts are too deeply attached to our dollars. And if Jesus isn't Lord of your wallet, I know he's not Lord of your life. Matter of fact, grab your Bibles real quick. Go with me to Matthew chapter 6. If you're not familiar, go to the back of your Bible. Work to the left, Matthew chapter 6. This is what Jesus says about this topic. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 21. How many of you are familiar with the passage where Jesus says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven? How many of you know that passage? Okay. Isn't that an interesting statement? Easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to heaven. Why? Why would Jesus say that? Here's why. Because rich people don't think they need God. They don't. They can trust their money, and they don't feel any inherent need for God to bail them out. Matter of fact, poor people, poor people know they need God. If you're a poor person and you're driving along in your car, and all of a sudden one of your tires goes out, and you pull over to the side of the road, you look in the trunk, you don't have a spare tire because it didn't have one used it the last time when it went out. And now you're standing there going, I've got to be at work in 20 minutes. I've got absolutely no money to buy another tire. Guess what you do next? Dear Jesus! <laughs> See, poor people are about that far from God all the time. <laughs> you know you need God. If you're a rich person and your car tire blows out, you pull over to the side of the road, you go, crud. I was saving that for my new Stingray boat. And poor people, rich people, rich people are more inclined, ready for this? To put their trust in a piece of paper with green ink than in their heavenly father. Because they can buy their way out of almost every problem they have. Think about that for a second. <laughs> I'm going to put my trust in a piece of paper with green ink or I'm going to put my trust in my heavenly Father to take care of my needs. If you were to ask Jesus, which of those two attitudes do you think Jesus would say is more mature? That's why money is always a maturity issue. Here we go. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there is your heart also. You, you love a piece of paper with green ink, or do you love God? That's what Jesus is asking. And then watch this amazing, amazing phrase. The eye is the lamp to the body. If your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is full of light. Or if your eye is healthy, your body is full of light. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Isn't that an interesting phrase in the middle of a conversation about money? You know why? Jesus is saying, if you don't figure this money thing out, it will mess you up. If you put your trust in paper and ink, if you love paper and ink 
more than you love God, then that becomes a filter through which you run every decision of life. And he says, if your controlling decision, if the thing that your eye is focused on is dollars, then your eyes are blind and you're living in darkness and you will screw up every decision of your life. And then Jesus says, and how dark is that dark? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is a lordship issue, Jesus says. This is a maturity issue. Let me see if this helps. We spared no expense to bring you the ladder. <laughs> Actually, we were saving you money. All right. Some of us in this room this last year, uh, this last year, you gave for the first time. Uh, there was a moment, there was an offering plate was passed, and, and you said, you know what, I, I think I'm going to give. And here's the, look, 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 that was a big deal. That was a big deal. Because here's what that made. That was a statement that said, look, 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 I get it. I get that God is important. I get that something's happening at this church. And literally, you putting that money was, was actually a movement of your heart toward the things of God. That was a big deal. And if this was the first time, if this last year you won, thank you. That, that was big. That was big for you. Um, some of us uh, in this room are occasional givers. Kind of depends on the sermon. Gets to the end, you go, that was like a dollar. Uh, th this is kind of like when you're driving down the road and you see that guy standing there with the sign and, you know, most of the time you pass, but every once in a while you go, oh, okay, and you wave him over and you give him a couple bucks. And that's kind of what you do at church. It's kind of like, hey, every once in a while you go, ah, I'm doing okay this month. There's a little bit left at the end. I think I'll tip God. I'll put a little bit in. It's a nice thing to do. Some of us, some of us have become intentional in our giving. This is, this is a huge step. Here, here's what this is. To become intentional in your giving, someone, what you've decided in your heart is, hey, everything I have came from God. I mean, my talent, my ability, the day that I'm living right now, the air, I mean, everything, if I think about it, came from God. It's probably only appropriate that I give something back. It just only makes sense. He gave me everything I probably should give something back. And so you've gone online or, you know, you've made a place, whatever you've done, and you've just said, hey, on a regular basis, I'm going to intentionally give something to God. Now, you notice I didn't say that's, that's not the tithe. It's just you saying, God gave to me, I'm going to consistently give something back. Some of us in this room are tithers. And guys, I'm just going to say, that's a big deal. Because here's what a tither, a tither said, I am choosing in this moment to be obedient. Because I'm just going to tell you, no one has ever become a tither without swallowing hard. No one's ever said, hey, I'm just going to give 10% casually. This is an absolute decision. N nobody was an occasional giver and went, look at that, I occasionally gave so much, I'm a tither. No one ever did that. This is a decision. Did you, did you ever wonder why God asked for 10%? I mean, why not like four? 
I mean, wouldn't that have been so, wouldn't we all be going, hey, at four? I think I can do that, right? We would have all been in at four, right? Well, why do you think God took it to 10? Because 10 hurts. <laughs> 10's uncomfortable. And you can't give 10 without making a statement. You know what you say when you do this? You are saying, hey, God, I, I, I got a lot of other places. I could have spent that. But here's what I'm saying. I love you more than anything I could have bought with that money. So I gave it to you. See, that's a, that's a big deal. That's, that's a decision. I think that's why God made it uncomfortable. Some of us are generous. See, some of you in the room are going, hey, I'm a tither. I thought I was, no, 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 no. There's another step. There, there's generous. There's, there's someone who goes beyond the tithe. And you guys are going, boy, are they stupid. What's, I mean, this was obedience, right? I mean, they were done there, right? I mean, why would someone go there? These guys are either the stupidest people in the room or the smartest people in the room. Because here, let me tell you what a generous giver has decided. Here's what they've figured out. Everything I buy on this earth gets old, gets rusty, and breaks. See, I was thinking about this the other day. I, I, since Lisa and I have been married, I think we've had five houses. And when we bought the house, we loved it. And when we sold the house, we couldn't wait to get out. In the time that Lisa and I have been married, we've had 16 cars. And they all started out with, oh, the blessings of God smell good. You know, lewd leather, right? And when we got done, it was like, man, there's so many Cheetos in this thing. Get rid of that, right? Just, wah, stinking piece of rattle trap, right? How many iPhones have I had? How many computers? How many laptops? And here's what generous me figured out. Everything I buy over here goes away and burns up. And everything I take and invest in eternity becomes eternal. I not only get blessed in this life for it, but I get commended for Jesus in the next. When I get to heaven, he goes, good job. Thank you so much for changing life. Guys, you realize when you give, immediately it turns into eternity. Immediately, lives are changed. And generous people have said, the best thing I can do is get as much, snatch as much as I can from the fire and get it over here to eternity. These guys are really idiots or they're really smart. You decide. Here's the question. What if you and I moved one? What, what, if, what if today... First-time givers, people who last year gave for the first time just said, hey, you know what? I'm purposing in my heart to become an occasional giver. I, I'm not even telling you when I'm going to give or how often or how much. I'm just committing myself to be an occasional giver. I'm going to start tossing something in sometime, somewhere. W what if our occasional giver said, I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to leave here today. I'm going to go online. I'm going I'm to pick an amount, and I'm just going to put it on automatic withdrawal. So that just, it just go, I'm, I'm going to become... In God gave me everything I've got. It makes sense to give God something back. What if some of us became tithers? That's, that would be our next step. That swallow hard, whew, 
moment that says, God, I'm willing to do this because it's obedience. And it says to me, even if it doesn't say to anything to anyone, it says to me, I love you more, God, than anything I could have bought. Any laptop, anything I could have bought with that money, I love you more. So I gave it to you instead. And what if some of us became generous today? It was the next step. And we just said, you know what? My goal is going to be to snatch as much of the earth as I can out of the fire and turn it into something that lasts for eternity. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to invest more than just my heart in eternity. I'm going to invest my money and my time and my life. I'm going to be generous. What if we all moved one? What if we moved one in our growing? What if we moved one in our sacrificing? We'd be on our way to be in a really, really dangerous church. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we're just in the moment and we remember 26 people putting their hands in and what you did, what you did with 26 people who said, I know it's gonna be hard, I know it's gonna take commitment, I know it's gonna involve sacrifice and you turned it into 7,000 and God, so now the 7,000 are here and we're simply asking the question, what if we, what if we had the same commitment the 26 did? And what if we gave more than we've ever given? What if we served more than we've ever served? What if we grew more than we've ever grown? What could you do with a church like that, God? That'd be a dangerous church. It would change our neighborhoods. It would change our communities. It might even change Phoenix. So God, we're putting hands in today. We want to see what you would do with a people like that. In Jesus' name, amen.